Welcome to Upper Dogology, where I retrain your brain and introduce you to the world of cognitive behavioral therapy for dogs over the age of six months. In this episode, I take you through the learning journey of Dana and Leslie, who learned the necessity and benefits of advancing from positive reinforcement training to cognitive behavioral therapy with their adopted dog, Sasha. The snippets piece talks about how perception affects behaviors. Hello and welcome to Upper Dogology. I am your host, Billy Groom, creator of Upper Dogology, author and successful dogologist for over two decades. I should also add in this little spiel on myself that I have worked with rescue dogs, thousands of them, for three decades. This episode highlights Dana and Leslie and their dog, Sasha, but in reality, similar situations and clients have happened dozens of times, if not more, per year for three decades. In other words, not only are Dana and Leslie common clients, but Sasha's journey is typical for many dogs. If you have not listened to the podcast mini-series, you may want to do that as I refer to it in this episode. Welcome to the journey of my clients, Dana and Leslie. Dana and Leslie, at the time of hiring me, were childless, but were quite far along in the process of adopting a baby. Dana had a dog as a child growing up, and both of them had done their research on adopting a dog. They chose Sasha because she is friendly with dogs and people and good with children. She's crate trained and house trained. Sasha was 11 months old and came from a registered rescue organization. Sasha was surrendered to the organization by a family who did not have the time for her when she was about seven months old. The foster home was experienced and had worked with her, but unfortunately she had been returned twice to the organization in the last three months for the same reason both times. Just not a good fit for our family. This happens a lot with dogs over the age of six months. Really what this comment or feedback usually boils down to is lack of training. But because she had been to class training twice and was treat motivated and essentially ticked all the boxes of a family pet, they did not expect it to be tricky to home her. Of course, there is an expected transition period and some adjustments, but overall, the rescue organization thought Sasha was pretty much good to go, so they were a little bit surprised or probably bummed by her return. For those of you who are familiar with the rule of three, this would be a good example where it could apply, but somehow does not apply as smoothly as it should on paper. Essentially, Sasha and many dogs did not get the memo. For those who do not know it, in a nutshell... The Rule of Three is an info resource that provides a common timeline for expected change in behaviors, developments, or progression for when dogs are adopted or go into foster. It works on a three-day, three-week, three-month system, hence the Rule of Three. I'm not saying that these are not common times for changes. I have always said that a 10-day to three-week time period is common for what I call the honeymoon stage, so I do agree there are common changes in behaviors at different stages. But I find the rule of three to be generic, and it doesn't always account for the personality and history of the dog. Ironically, it can completely backfire because many dogs integrate easily and do not need this slow of an integration. Even with the honeymoon period, some dogs are typical for experiencing the honeymoon period and some not so much. My problem with the rule of three is when rescue organizations use it as a way to justify the return of the dog by blaming the adopters or fosters for not giving it enough time 
which in turn can lead to the foster or adopter feeling guilty when it's really not their fault. I talk about productive patients in my book. Many fosters and adopters realize the need for patients, but if they do not feel the fit is right, or they are not connecting or bonding, or the dog is not as they expected and they try techniques unsuccessfully, they will get disillusioned. This is human nature, with any relationship. I'm going to assume most of us have had a bad first date, or we hit that three-month time period in a relationship and decide to jump ship. So in the case of Sasha, the rescue organization did not blame the adopters, but felt it best to heighten the rules with her next adoption. They insisted on using the crate when the adopters, which are Leslie and Dana, were not present and at night. This says to me Sasha chews or is destructive. Probably not out of separation anxiety because her personality is not prone to separation anxiety based on other descriptions the organization provided. The rescue organization also strongly suggested hiring me. Because she had attended class training twice already, at least twice, because she could have also gone with the first family who surrendered her. So the problem with repeated class training is that it fools the adopters into thinking the dog is well-trained. In other words, they pass class training with flying colors. So that trick ticks yet another box, but the dog already knows the drill. This can, with some dogs, increase the chances of the dog rooking the people. So when I met Sasha, the problems were obvious. Jumping, stealing objects such as socks and tea towels, and nipping to get attention. The intent was not to hurt, but Leslie and Dana had bruises and scratches. They were told by online resources to ignore or to ensure they remain calm and be sure that Sasha remains calm before she gets anything she wants and, if necessary, put her in the crate. It is easy to provide suggestions, especially from an online platform or a soapbox. I have been working one-on-one with people, in the trenches, so to speak, for decades. I know these suggestions are easier said than done with dogs over six months of age. Putting a dog in a crate can heighten the behavior, or, alternatively, if the dog calms down in the crate, it is a restrictive technique because you cannot take that crate everywhere you go. If you've read my book, you will be familiar with my views on using crates with dogs over six months. It depends on why and if the dog likes it. Forcing crate training is just wrong, but in this case, Sasha likes the crate. The problem is Sasha knows it is wrong to steal and chew objects. A crate is convenient and helpful when going through the process of teaching right from wrong, but Sasha knows it's wrong to steal these objects. Essentially, the crate is doing the work of preventing her from stealing it. We need to adhere to the approach of less restraining, more braining. Ignoring a dog is a form of positive correction, and although it makes sense, it can increase the unwanted behavior. Even though Sasha is 60 pounds, she thinks she has to jump higher and more often to get her peeps' attention because apparently they cannot see her. Using convincing words such as be nice makes no sense to a dog. People can't even do a be nice. Additionally, Sasha is nice. She's just hyper. Inventing a word in the moment of chaos such as calm, or focus makes no sense. What exactly is calm or focus? How does a dog do that? If it is a sit that you want, don't change your word. Even if treats are used to obtain a sit, it is often ineffective or it's effective for a split second only. Reactive words such as no jump are, well, reactive in nature, so literally we are allowing the dog to jump, followed by no jump, which is essentially sitting or standing, and then we are forced to praise or reward. So we are teaching Sasha she can jump, 
as long as it's followed by getting down based on the command no jump. And this is just not a good routine to teach Sasha or any dog. I talk more about these techniques in my book and why they are sometimes effective and often ineffective. When it comes to commands with dogs like Sasha, we need fewer commands used more often to strengthen them and change her perception of commands. By continuing to go to class training, she was learning more commands or the same commands with the same reward, which doesn't advance them. The reward is probably treats or clicker or clicker and treats. By working in real life situations, we can advance to using teaching opportunities and opportunity-driven rewards. So Leslie and Dana took the focus off of, quote, what do I do when Sasha does the unwanted behavior? We adhere to the approach of upward dogology, work as a whole, to establish the platform and change Sasha's perception of their ability to calmly manage in all situations. Dana and Leslie told me Sasha was well-behaved in the dog park, on walks, and while playing ball in the yard. In these situations, Sasha was well-behaved mostly because she was entertained and perceived these activities as fun and getting attention. These situations became their teaching opportunities. After four days of applying the exercises during teaching opportunities, Sasha was calmer in the home, did not jump as much, and the nipping decreased. The rewards were not treats. They were opportunity-driven rewards. She still stole the tea towel, but Dana and Leslie were able to more easily and calmly address the situation. Because they now were able to reach the cognitive side of her brain and had established a platform, they could pop back into quadrants one and two and effectively apply positive reinforcement and positive correction. So if you listen to the snippets piece on advancing trick style exercises, I said that relying on commands when taught at a low level is often ineffective. However, now commands can be applied creatively to get Sasha's focus when she has the tea towel and make the situation boring, which is not what Sasha wants. So essentially, this is like the mouse in the maze. It is positive correction. Dana and Leslie have the skill set to remove the chaos and decrease the response using the commands. Prior to working with her in Quadrant 3, using opportunity-driven rewards, they were unable to accomplish this task. After one week of increasing the difficulty of the exercises and being more creative, the unwanted behavior ceased in most situations. We still needed to work on the jumping when guests came over, but we could easily bridge the gap with increasingly difficult exercises to reach this goal. Advancing to applying CBT also increased the bond between Sasha and Leslie and Dana. They knew they had the tools to integrate Sasha into their life, and although they still needed to be patient, it was productive patience. For the snippets piece for this episode, I'm going to use a fun example to explain how perception of factors influences reactions and behaviors. My book, in the latter chapters, talks a lot about a dog's perception of factors influencing their behavior. I am going to use a human example to explain this. So a guy walks into a bar. Let's call him Pete. Pete looks around and notices quite a few people are drunk. Being after midnight and in a bar known for people being drunk, Pete goes up to the bar and gets a drink. One of the guys at the bar almost knocks his drink over. Pete laughs and studies his beer and all is good. The next day, Pete goes to the library. Yes, Pete is a well-rounded guy. Upon entering the library, he notices people being loud and acting drunk. When one of the guy rushes past him, knocking him and causing him to drop his bag, Pete gets frustrated and agitated. He grabs the guy and tells him to get out of the library, but the guy refuses. 
Pete storms up to the nearest employee who informs him the library is being used as a movie set and he must have missed the signs. Pete calms down but is still frustrated because he cannot complete his task at the library. The employee informs him the library reopens in an hour and Pete is satisfied. Pete is the same person in both situations. His behaviors were determined by his perception of the area and the activities that should, in his experience and opinion, be happening there. His decision to grab the guy in the library, but not the guy in the bar, was based on his perception and his desire to manage that situation. When he realized he could not manage it, he chose to approach the employee. When his perception of the area and situation and his expectations of what should be occurring were changed, he calmed down. He was then presented with options, and he chose to wait the hour. Obviously, we go about achieving this differently with dogs, but the concept is the same. And besides, the example is fun, and fun is good. Please follow me on Instagram, Upward Dogology, and on my Facebook page, which highlights my clients both hands-on and remotely. That is Doglogic Behavioral Rehabilitation. There are a few Doglogic pages, so make sure to get the right one. My LinkedIn is Billy Groom. If you are interested in working together or becoming a certified Upward Dogologist, you can visit my website, upwarddogology.com. My book, The Art of Urban People with Adopted and Rescued Dogs Methodology, is available through Amazon, most ebook retailers, and my publisher, Friesen Press. The music in this podcast series is generously provided by the Jeff Murtick Band off the album Outrun the Sunrise. They are a funky reggae blues band from Regina, Saskatchewan, Canada. You can check them out on Facebook and YouTube. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy your learning journey. Oh